No! Expand your goddamn minds! Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil showed up this week. What do you mean? Except when you're not. That's the point. Sometimes right. you're not. Peter won't be here this week for a medical reason. What did he say? It was his gallbladder he was having taken out or something? He's in the hospital Is right he? Now. Oh, shit. I didn't see that at all. I, I totally missed that. God. Great friend you I, are. Uh, dude. I'm not on Facebook every every freaking day. Peter won't be here this week. Maybe next week. We'll see. What you guys need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you're surfing the internet, or if you like to the kind of movies we like, which are kind of the dirtier side of the internet, I think we could call it Cecil safely, you need you need a VPN. Go to 12beyond.com backslash DromeVPN, and it'll bring you to Nordsite with our code, and you'll get 75% off a three-year plan. That's only $2.99 a month for a three-year plan. And that's to protect your data, encrypt your data, get you around region locking, maybe help you access things you're not supposed to access, but you need you need the digital condom that is Nord. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. All right, with all that out of the way, so we lost another one this week. Film industry, Cecil, seems to be getting smaller and smaller at the same time it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Annapurna Pictures declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy this week. Now, this story might change because there's a couple of factors I'll go into in a minute. As of the date we're recording this, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. A lot of people might not even know that name. Annapurna Pictures? What is that? But I guarantee you've seen their logo at the front of a lot of movies. These are not technically an independent studio. They are, but not the way, like, when you and I think of an independent film, we think of a, what, five, ten million dollar film, Cecil, something like that? I go anywhere from, uh, I'll say ten million and under, going all the way down to as low as, like, ten thousand dollars. Annapurna was one of the higher-end indies. They would put out sometimes 20, 30, 40 million dollar films, which is what's an independent film nowadays, you know, to a lot of studios. And then sometimes they would team up with, say, Sony or Fox or something like that and put out a hundred million dollar film. But they were still, for all intents and purposes, an independent company owned by Megan Ellison. And they just, they couldn't make it in this market anymore. And there are some reasons for this. One being, I, they weren't, they were spending too much money. If you look at the slate of Annapurna Pictures, okay, these win a lot of Oscars, these win a lot of critical acclaim. These are not box office favorites, though. You can't spend $40 million on an Oscar picture unless you also have a tentpole picture, too, you know? Well, you can spend $40 million on an Oscar picture if you have, like, Tom Hanks attached to it or something. Like, you need to have uh, a, a really big 
star power, uh, preferably two, playing off of each other, then you can parlay that in uh, December or January when they release uh, a lot of, you know, well, mostly December when they release uh, the Oscar pictures. January is really a dump month. December is when they do all the Oscar bait films. It's just ridiculous to me when you have a lot of Oscar bait films that cost like $100 million, but they're dramas. Why do you need like $100 million to make a drama? I can understand when you need $100 million and up to do an action movie, to do a sci-fi movie, to do a comic book movie. Drama movies should not cost that much money. I think it's that they're, they're really overpaying a lot of the, uh, the talent. And it's starting to kind of get them into a bad place. They they sort of got a little too big. Some of their their slate here, and you'll notice a lot of films that were critical darlings, like Lawless, The Master, Killing Them Softly, Zero Dark Thirty, The Grandmaster, Her, American Hustle, Foxcatcher, Everybody Wants Some, Detroit, The Phantom Thread. Are you noticing a pattern here? All of these movies. Didn't make money at the box office, but the critics were like, this is one of the best movies of the year, or they won a ton of Oscars. The, uh, well, the Grandmaster has a really, uh, that was another, <laughs> I think that was one of the last Weinstein F-ups before he got put away. And that one wasn't even, like, that was a kind of a, co- there's a whole big story behind that, I won't go into it. But anyway, uh, I think that's kind of the odd one out. But um, a lot of them, yeah, they're... Oscar bait films that aren't really going to go over well with a, uh, a mainstream audience. And it's kind of sad. A lot of them are very good and not just because they're Oscar bait, but a lot of them are legitimately good. They, you know, Oscar bait is just a term. They're legitimate good movies. They release them at the, at the wrong time or they just get trampled over or they just, for whatever reason, they don't take off. A lot of times you see a film and you're like, oh, this is going to be a huge hit. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't hit. I can tell you what I think the reason is. Annapurna is linked to A24. The, the A24 is almost a clone type company. They put out a lot of the same type of product, a lot of stylistically the same. They've co-produced some films together. I happen to like a lot of Annapurna and A24. 24's output. I, I usually, when I see their logo at the start of something, I went, ooh. But they both have one major, major problem. They don't have trailer departments for shit. I'm, I look at A24's output. I look at Annapurna's output. Man, just last night researching this, I went and watched the trailers for a lot of these movies. They make garbage trailers. It, it's like these companies have no idea how to cut a trailer. They make bad trailers for good movies. And, and they do it over and over and over and over again. That's why you're failing. You don't know how to cut a trailer, man. You know, it, well, it's funny because I am now in a position where I actively avoid trailers, so I can't, I can't agree or disagree with you. I mean, I, in general, I know that trailers are just terrible, which is why I stopped watching them altogether. Now I just kind of look for something that has a buzz around it or somebody mentions it to me and I say, oh, that looks good. And then I just go in blind and watch it. Uh, or if I do end up catching a bit of the trailer, it's usually first 15 30 seconds of it and then i'll just skip i'm like oh that you know that's enough to kind of give me a flavor for whether or not this is something i'd be interested in so uh but i don't doubt that uh because trailers in general have been terrible and a lot of times those kind of films are hard to sell to an audience so you have trailer companies that are just uh we don't know what to do just slap something together mention uh mention a bunch of names do a lot of fade outs and uh, people will go see it. Annapurna, they started in 2012, and they have only had, like, four films that have made, 
what what we call a profit, you know, after marketing and everything. In 2018, they had one. Sorry to Bother You, which I thought was the best movie of 2018, was the only film that they released that actually made a profit. You You can't sustain a company like that. That one was... Like it made a profit, but it wasn't like uh, I mean, I mean how, what was the bu- like budget to profit on that one? I think they, you know, they probably cleared ten million after everything. But that's yeah, that's another. But what I'm saying is that factors into what you're saying. The one movie they had, like, there are a lot of studios that will put out flops, but then have one movie, their tentpole, that'll make a billion dollars. That they had a bunch of flops, and their hit made ten million. Annapurna didn't make Oscar bait kind of movies. They also made your favorite movie of all time, Spring Breakers. Oh, boy. All right, well, maybe they deserve to go away. <laughs> they, they also made both of our favorite movie of 2016, Sausage Party. Oh, God. They made The Sisters Brothers, which, okay, if if Holmes and Sherlock had not come out, might be the biggest, what the hell were you thinking? This was never going to make money. What is wrong with you? movie of the last few years they made that hundred million dollar animated film missing link about the bigfoot that no one went to go see they've got they still got up even though they're because they're technically they filed for chapter 11 but they still have some movies coming out hustlers i literally turned this off about a second into the trailer as soon as i saw cardi b i went nope uh, no. nope not 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 doing this Not doing this. The reason I say things could change even by the time you hear this episode, the owner of Annapurna. Well, here's the thing. Her dad is a billionaire. She is asking her father to maybe bail the company out. They might not go under. Just as of right now, they are under a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So things may change in that regard later. What does this mean for film, though? Because, like I said, this is a higher-end indie. This isn't a full moon or something like that. This is, a, this is I guess, the equivalent of a canon, if you want to throw it into the 80s. This is sort of like, Annapurna was sort of a canon, but a little more heady than a canon. What does this mean for film? We keep losing them. They are going under every single year. We're losing more of these, either to going out of business, being swallowed up by a larger company like Disney buying Miramax. Miramax not an independent anymore. What what does this mean for the industry when of the top ten movies of 2019 to date, six of them are Disney? What does this mean for film? I'll say it again. You know, I've said it for years. Nobody listened to me. It's a bad direction. I know you, you all love your, your MCU superhero films, and I do too, to a certain degree. They're getting too safe, and they're getting arrogant, and basically buying everybody and putting everything else out of business because they're too big. Uh, they just recently announced, essentially, the future of theatrical is going to be is nothing but blockbusters in theaters, and then all the other films are going to go direct-to-video. Or, I'm sorry, direct-to-streaming. In their mind, theatrical isn't sustainable unless it is a huge budgeted film, and that's just proven time and time again to be wrong. How many little films that could came along that just blew up? Uh, Blair Witch Project, Paranormal Activity, you know, the per- all the, the Blumhouse movies, for most of them anyway, were all small films 
that had fairly high concepts or they were just really entertaining. They caught the audience and they ended up making bazillions of dollars. And it's just, I don't think that that's a good place because then what's going to happen is you're going to have movie studios that are going to keep putting out these blockbusters. They're going to keep pouring more money into them. Then they're going to be competing and then they're going to go out of business. And the only one that's going to be able to survive that is going to be Disney because they're the only ones that have all the money into it. And the smaller companies that go out of business, then Disney will just buy them out and then just remake their back catalog. And it's uh, it's really ugly. It's uh, it's not a good place for entertainment to be. It's like there's no independent thought left because Disney owns everything. I'm going to blame this on the audience. The audience. You guys flock to go see the MCU movies and the Lion King remake and all this, and you go see them two, three times. That that same multiplex might be showing some weird little movie like Life After Beth. Nobody goes to see that. They'll, they'll sell a dozen tickets in the whole week, and they'll sell a dozen tickets a minute for the new Avengers movie. This is the audience's fault that independent film is dying. The audiences would rather go see Endgame for the third time than go see Free Fire. Well, I, I, see, I'm kind of in the middle on that. You have your movies that you love and the movies that you want. So if you really like uh, Endgame or whatever and you want to go see it three, four, however many times, fine. There's been plenty of movies that I've enjoyed that I've seen multiple times. But I also would go to see a lot of the weird stuff, too. But that's because I'm... I'm weird, but a lot of your mainstream audience, they don't want to check out the other stuff. They're perfectly content with going to see Force Awakens five times or whatever. And there's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, I understand what you say, what you're saying is that it's the audience's fault that these are going away, but it's also the market dictating where they want things to go. Now, granted, I feel that Disney is kind of forcing the market's hand by flooding the market with their product. But it's it's an unfortunate side effect of uh, the way the business is run. The reason I'm blaming the audience is they don't want to be challenged. Like just just what I said, no independent thought allowed. They don't want to be challenged. They know the Disney stuff is safe. It's going to be marketable. It's going to give them what they want. They don't want a challenge. Because I'm, I'm sitting here looking, like, like I brought up A24 before. A24 has put out some amazing movies since 2013. That's when they started. Look at the output of A24 under the skin. That's an amazingly weird, artsy film. It's got an A-list star in it. Nobody went to go see that. I brought up Life After Beth. Life After Beth is a black, freaking comedy, zombie love story. I genuinely laughed at where I was supposed to. Nobody went to go see Life After Beth. You've got Revenge of the Green Dragons, a great 1989 Chinese mafia movie. Fantastic. You've got stuff like Barely Lethal. Barely Lethal was unique as hell. I thought that was having these teenage girls raised as assassins, and then one of them escapes and wants to be a high school student, and, well, that doesn't turn out the way you think it was going to, you know? You've got you've got movies like The Witch, and Green Room I didn't necessarily like, but I liked the idea of it. You've got stuff like... 
like like Moonlight. Okay, that won a ton of Oscars. How many people have actually seen it? You've got Free Fire, one of the most fun 90 minutes I've had in the last couple of years. You've got movies like Slice. Okay, Slice didn't exactly work, but there were there were a lot of good ideas in Slice. It needed a, another couple of maybe script revisions, but there was a couple of good ideas in there. You've got like Under the Silver Lake, which has a lot of good ideas. It sucks its dick too much for it to be a good movie, but it's got a lot of good ideas. Nobody is going to see these movies. They wait for him to show up on Netflix after they've failed. I went to see The Witch in theaters, and I thought it was fantastic. And there was a couple behind me that uh, did not care. Like at the end of the movie, they were walking out, I was just like, what was that? That, that was stupid. What? I don't understand any of it. It was a movie that, yes, I will say that really in order to, to fully take it all in, it does deserve a second viewing once you kind of understand what's going on. Cause what I'm not saying that it's confusing, but it's revealed more at the end. So seeing it again kind of opens things up more and you're like, Oh, okay. Looking at it from a different perspective. But if you're not even really like, I'm not even sure if they were genuinely paying attention. I think that they were just, uh, came in to watch it and i think also something else that factors into this and this is also uh, i saw the witch at one of those movie taverns like style theaters when you're watching a movie you have the ability to have drinks brought to you and food brought to you and you order your food and it's delivered and you're sitting there eating a meal while you're watching it you're not really paying attention to the movie entirely eating you're you're drinking you're thinking about what you want to do you know you're not really vested in it so a movie like the witch is not really the best movie to have at that sort of theater a movie an action movie or whatever something where you don't really have to dedicate that much brain power to to just sit back free, and be free fire if nobody's seen free fire it's essentially a 90 minute long gunfight that has character interactions now and then let's put it this way it makes you not hate brie larson for 90 minutes well it's also before anybody even knew who she was quite frankly and she looks like she's having fucking fun in it too doesn't she she does and that's what really kind of gets me about her if you look at all of her even even in uh room not the room but in in room it's like okay she at least is like smiling like she at least is is giving a performance i don't know what happened the past uh you know couple years i didn't really have a have a problem with her uh in in skull island she was completely likable yeah but i'm just saying nobody's going to see these movies i actually think it's not so much no one's going to see these movies no one wants a movie that's not a big-budget blockbuster. Joe Bob Briggs on his Shutter series last year, he threw everyone for a loop when he showed 2014's The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I think is an amazing movie. Maybe it's the art snob in me. I loved A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yeah, the black, the black and, and white, white one with uh, the skateboarding vampires in in Iran. Yeah, that one, it was another one where I recommended that you know, a couple years ago. Uh, and really unique, very cool, very different. Gorgeous. Isn't it beautiful black and white? Oh yeah, the black and white is largely what helped sell it. Uh, I think if it was in color, like if that was in color, I don't think it would have worked nearly as well as it did. I think it still would have worked, but I think it just it looks beautiful in black and white. Some films just work better in black and white, but that was kind of like 
there was a lot of these kind of foreign oddball films like that where there's this well, Iranian okay, okay. I, I'm, vampire I'm film. I'm going to stop you there. It's actually not a foreign film. The movie was shot in Southern California with a Californian crew and all Californian actors. They just decided to set it in Iran and Anna Lily Amapur went out of her way to make it look like Iran. But this is an American movie by an American studio, by an American director with an American cast. And it fooled you into thinking it was a foreign film, so it did its job. Wow. This yeah, is not an Iranian movie. Completely duped me, because I didn't look that far into it. I just kind of saw it, enjoy it. Oh, and, and, and the entire movie value. and the entire movie is in Persian, so there's no English in it either. Yeah, and, but I mean, even the locations that they shot, it looked like, loca- you know... You could have so, fooled yeah. me until I looked into it. I thought this was Iran as well. Well, good for them. And they, yeah, they duped me. But a movie like that, Joe Bob Briggs showed that, and his audience went nuts. Why are you showing this crap? His audience rejected A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. And I think that was really, really telling. Joe Bob was trying to show his audience something of value, and they went, we don't want it. Well, I sadly think, as much I love Joe Bob, I love him dearly, and this is not an affront to him. With the new Shutter series, him being introduced to a whole new audience, I believe, now I'm not saying that this is entirely the, you know, not partially the old audience, but I think that in general, the older audience is the people that are more willing to branch out and watch different stuff, where I think a lot of the new audience that is coming in, they want crap. they Or they want the perception of crap. These are the people that will watch from beyond and think that it's crap, when it's, no, this is not crap, it's just that you're so trained to think that everything that isn't a CGI fest is somehow crap. Oh, look at these terrible... I was talking, oh my god, I was talking to my, my nephew, uh, the other week. He was saying how, uh, his dad got him to watch the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, and he was laughing because he thought that the, the turtle suits were so terrible looking and fake, and, and, uh, and I love him. He's a, he's a great kid. It's like, no, you don't, you don't understand. Like, like, he's like, oh, the new ones are so much better. And I'm like, no, we can't lose you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna have to really, uh, learn him a thing or two about, uh, practical effects, and, uh, it's just, it's, that audience they they're so trained to think that uh something that uh, is a lot of practicals and is is uh, a lower budgeted film has a bunch of actors they'd never heard of they're automatically trained to think that that's garbage and uh they're watching his films and they're not seeing when he's interjecting his little uh segments where he's talking about this movie start this person and this was came out at this time he's giving all kinds of factoids saying that the movie he's talking about how much went into the film and and his love for it and why it's it's such a, a beloved film and people are just hearing crap crap look at these bad effects people died oh fake so i think that that's largely why they were rejecting a movie like that because simply they were seeing it as a newer film it looks like an art house film and they're not seeing it as something good they're seeing it except okay i'm disagreeing with you it looks like it's an art house film but this is a film about a skateboarding vampire in Iran killing people with existential angst. There's gore everywhere. The villain has pussy stretcher tattooed on his knuckles. Happens to be shot like an art film. You'd think the audience would embrace, Joe Bob's audience would embrace this. You would think it. I think Joe Bob thought it. So I think he was honestly probably taken a little back how much his audience rejected this movie. I think uh, he, he had to have been flabbergasted. 
And I think that's part of the problem. They, Joe Bob's audience, we want garbage movies. This is what we want. We want big budget garbage. They love when he shows big to medium budget crap. And that's the same thing we're talking about here. Audience doesn't want this. And I think that is the problem. There's nothing wrong if you liked Endgame. But after you see Endgame, go and see Sorry to Bother You. Go and watch Six String Samurai. Go and watch A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Expand your horizons a little bit, not, okay, I just watched Endgame, now I'm going to watch all 26 movies that led up to Endgame because, woohoo, Disney! No! Expand your goddamn minds! And thankfully, thankfully, Cecil, there is one thing, and I can't believe I'm about to praise a major corporation, there's one thing standing in the way of Disney's absolute takeover of the theatrical system, the AMC theater chain. AMC, the largest theater chain in the United States, has a program called the Artisan Film Program, where they think that independent film has a place and should have a place theatrically. That no matter what movies come out, in all of their multiplexes, they will have at least one screen screening what, what they, what they are calling character and narrative driven independent film. It's, uh, the, the theater that I go to is, uh, is AMC. It's and the, the theater found... my girlfriend that I go to is AMC, yeah. And it's funny because a bigger theater that is, a, a Regal, it's trash by comparison. Greens are murky, the seats are not you know, they're, they're not the nice reclining seats. I don't think they've updated anything in about the past 15 years. Whereas the AMC, they overhauled it a while ago and it's just, they keep making it better. They, uh, it, it's such a nice theater and, uh, I don't want to go anywhere else because it's, uh, there's, the seats are big and there's enough space between you and the people around you and it's staggered too. So even if some buttholes are, uh, are talking it's there's enough distance so that it's not quite as big a deal as it would be in some of the other theaters where everybody's packed in like sardines on top of each other still don't like when people talk in movies but i'm saying little things like that do make a difference the fact that amc the largest theater chain in the united states is saying no we are going to make sure independent film still gets theatrical releases i think that probably pissed disney off but it also Maybe this is just marketing. Maybe it's just, you know, the, maybe, who knows? Maybe the owner of AMC really believes in independent film. This is a good benchmark to hit. AMC going, no, we will still show these movies. Good enough for them, man. Cause, uh, that's the truth. Uh, you never know. And as I said earlier, the, the independent films, every now and then you're going to have something that blows up and that, uh, just becomes a phenomenon. And it's never the big movie. It's always the little underdog that comes in and just surprises the hell out of everybody. And then everybody goes to see it. And then they started off, they released it in like maybe 200 theaters and the demand is there. And then they expand that to like 3000 theaters. And then it just, it goes huge. But to go with this no independent thought thing, where is something like The Color Out of Space? When that comes out, it's supposed to come out in like October or November of this year, the Richard Stanley movie. Is that even going to be able to compete? That's being made by Spectre Vision, a company that makes about one movie a year. They make great stuff like Mandy, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, they're making Color Out of Space. Can that really compete with... The, all the stuff Universal, Paramount, and Disney are going to be releasing at the same time? Do you think Color Out of Space even has a chance? 
I mean, SpectraVision, I respect the hell out of this company, other than the fact that they made the Greasy Strangler. They haven't made a bad movie, but I don't think they're a real competitor here. In general, if they release that in, like, the fall, it has a better chance of doing well. Because people are looking for weird movies, they're looking for sci-fi, they're looking for horror, they're looking for that kind of film in the fall. So if it comes out around then, uh, it'll do well. Although the majority of their films, like, I think Mandy was probably the largest, the, the, the one that had the biggest buzz around it. Uh, up to this one, up to Color Out of Space. So I think that um, it may end up just being another case of, well, we'll put it on uh, direct to, to video, video on demand and, uh, you know, it'll kind of get its audience there. But at least it's getting made. Like, that's that's always a big... Movies will eventually find their audience. It's just a matter of that they have to be made. What's sad is, and, and I know you and I grew up in the video revolution, and we saw a lot of movies. I, I'm talking movies that did have theatrical runs, so let's leave direct-to-video just completely out of this conversation because that doesn't count here. How many movies, when you were growing up, did you not see in the theater that you would only catch on video? Probably more than you saw in the theater, I'm going to guess. Oh, yeah, a lot. But I watched a lot of movies on video. But then I see movies like I thought Bomb City last year was fantastic. And it never, I wanted to see it in the theater. It never played here. Even AMC, the AMC here didn't even carry it. It never played here. And I'd say probably 99% of people saw Bomb City, if they've seen it at all, on video. I, I, I think that, that sort of wrecks some of these movies, and I don't mean this in a mean way, why even have a theatrical release? No one goes to see these movies anymore because Disney has six out of the ten spots at the damn multiplex. I think it's only going to get worse. Disney is trying their hardest to uh, to get ten out of ten spots at the multiplex. And with Fox, they might. With Fox now, they very well might. Well, the, the other thing, and this is kind of talking about, Disney is going to pull the the tried-and-true method they're entering the streaming market with the Disney Plus at a very discounted rate. And they're basically going to, because they can afford to take the hit. They can afford to lose the money on that. And what's going to happen is everybody's going to jump on board. They're going to get Disney Plus and they're going to throw all their, their stuff on there. And the their competitors... Uh, I don't know, like, Hulu will probably be able to weather the storm, but I think, like, Netflix... Well, of course Hulu um, can weather is... the storm. You know Disney owns it now because they completely took it over when they acquired Fox, oh, so Hulu's not a competitor to Disney+. Plus. That's right. I forgot. I forgot that Hulu was uh, was under five. For for some reason, I thought Hulu was under uh, Comcast. No, Comcast but, um, owns a third of it because it was Hulu com or Hulu was Comcast, Disney, and Fox. But then when Disney got Fox, now Disney owns sixty six percent of Hulu. Ah, uh, that's okay. Well, anyway, so essentially they're they're basically doing this to put Netflix out of business. That is really again not a good thing because it's going to be reducing the market. And then once Netflix is out of business, if you don't think that uh, they're going to jack up their prices, then you're because then it's going to be like, hey, where what are you going to do? Where are you going to see all these? What are you going to do? We what are you going to do? Go to Tubi? Yeah, what are you going to do? Go to Tubi? Or are you going to go to, uh, or you'll go to one of those dirty piracy sites or something. And a lot of people are like, yeah, we'll go to one of those dirty piracy sites. But, uh, but okay, in the broad aspect, and it's not just Disney. Paramount is like this. Warner Brothers is like this. Universal is like this. The studios, the major studios, they don't make movies for adults anymore. How many movies nowadays come out from a major studio that are aimed at an adult audience? These studios make movies either for kids or for everyone. 
How many, and I, when I say adult, I don't mean porn, obviously. How many adult movies get made by a studio now? What? One, two a year per studio, maybe, when they put out 50 movies a year? If you're lucky. Like, I don't mind they make movies that, uh, you know, they, this is what they want to aim them at. But that's one of my biggest frustrations is that, hey, there are adults that watch movies. We stop trying to make everything for, for a freaking PG-13 audience. It's insulting, especially when you have them come in and they're, they have an idea that is clearly something that is aimed at adults. And then they're like, oh, this would be great if we made a PG-13. No, it would. And time and time again, it's proven that that's the truth. Because then they'll take an R-rated film, they'll cut it down to PG-13, and no one will go to see it. And then the people who do see it, they hate it. But at the same time, where where can an adult go for a movie? Again, leaving porn out. The independents. The independents, which are dying off. They make movies like A24, Annapurna, companies like that, Spectrovision. They make R-rated movies aimed at a 30 and up audience. And the problem is that 30 and up audience doesn't f***ing go! They go to see Endgame four times! It's, it's the world we live in right now. I mean, it, I don't, I don't like it. I want people to, uh, to broaden their horizons. Hell, I've made a living out of telling people to broaden their horizons. The, the, the bottom line is that, uh, whoever really has the most marketing and whoever owns everything is good. Like, I have a feeling that what Disney is going to do to kind of counter, because there is a lot of people who don't want to go see Disney films. And what they're going to do is they'll just release them under one of their other divisions that people don't know uh, is owned by Disney. I still so get like, people. Oh, well, I'm going to go see dude, this. I still get people that, that are like, oh, I watch independent film. I've seen a bunch of Miramax. You know Miramax is owned by Disney, right? That's not... Well, but then Fox Search... Yeah, Fox is right in the title, idiot. That's not... People have a misinterpretation of what an independent film is these days. And that pisses me off, too. Uh, To be fair, a lot of films that are under, like, Fox Fox Searchlight and whatnot are films that were financed independently. They were just distributed through Fox. So so they could get a bigger audience. So I don't entirely fault that. But in general, there are a lot of people that just think that uh, as this is this company, so this is automatically an independent film, and that's not always the truth. But then you also have the aspect of with, and again, I'm just going to use Disney as the catch-all here, with Disney putting out the majority of the product, everything has to be safe, no chances can be taken, everything has to be middle of the road, you can't challenge your audience. They need to think you're dumb. Because, like, when you look at a movie like Hobbs and Shaw, my girlfriend drugged me to go see Hobbs and Shaw. This is possibly the dumbest movie I've seen in the theater in years. And I mean dumb in the fact of its script and in the fact of this movie thinks I'm stupid and is treating me as if I'm stupid. And that's the kind of stuff we get, like with Aladdin and The Lion King and the and the Avengers movies. These movies do not want to challenge you, and that is the death of cinema. It's not good. I'll, I will say, though, in general, from the perception that I'm getting, it's depressing because the movies still make a billion dollars, but a lot of people 
are talking about how they're like, the Aladdin looks terrible, I'm not going to go see it. The Lion King looks terrible, I'm not going to go see it. Or if they do go see it, they're like, that was terrible, why did I go see it? So I think that's kind of the thing, is that a lot of people are getting very disenfranchised with it. And I hope that at some point... There is a pushback to this because in general, I just I see more and more people getting disenfranchised by this. But then you look at the box office numbers and they're still huge. So from Disney's perspective, they're doing everything okay. So they're just going to keep doing what is going to make them money is really scary because even if they make something that looks like garbage, because it's garbage that was promoted on every visible outlet, then people just like lemmings flock to go see it. To to a degree, you can have a give and take. Like my girlfriend, she does like independent film, but when she's going to the movie theaters, she wants to see something big and explodey. She drug me to the Marvel movies. She drug me to Hobbs and Shaw, stuff like that. I drug her to Mandy. I drug her to Sorry to Bother You. You know, I drug her to these kind of movies. So it's sort of a give and take. I think a lot of people don't have that give and take. They just want big, dumb fun. I hate this term, turn your brain off and enjoy it. Or look, look at all the eye candy. I hate these terms. These terms are demeaning. And if you use these terms, you are demeaning yourself and you don't even realize that that's, that's how much you have been indoctrinated. A movie is supposed to bring you something and not, and not just be the, the equivalent of dangling keys in front of a cat. Ooh, look, shiny, shiny, shiny. Ooh, splody, splody, splody. That's not what a goddamn movie is supposed to do. A movie doesn't always have it does not have to enlighten you it doesn't have to bring you something you've never seen before i'm not trying to be that kind of an art critic i'm saying a movie should be more than that blowed up real good i don't know i am very much in the camp of we can have both we can have big dumb explosion fests and we can have intellectual thought-provoking films we can have movies that are intellectual thought-provoking films that also are explodey fests I think that there is a, a good way to yeah we can we can have both i watch a lot of both i watch really intelligent films and i watch really dumb films i think the only problem i have in general with uh, like dumb film with some dumb films is that they're dumb and poorly made like i don't mind a, a, a i don't mind something like dumb and dumber i think is very funny but it is a well-made dumb film but i get a i have a problem when you have a movie that they make dumb with the intention of making it dumb it really has nothing behind it to make it entertaining they think that it can survive off it just being dumb that's one of holmes and watson holmes and watson something like that the jack and jill where it's like, well, we can be dumb and it'll succeed. No, it won't. So that's when I kind of have a problem. But I think we can have both. I don't have a problem with people that like artsy-fartsy films. I don't have a problem with people that like explosion vests. I like both. I think that we can survive in a world where there is both. But unfortunately, Disney is making it very difficult to have both. They're trying to push out a lot of the more thought-provoking good films in favor of the tenters. Every film that they put out is a tentpole. And that, again is not a good direction. It's not sustainable. When I said we can't have that, I don't mean like you and I and the audience. I'm saying the audience doesn't want it. We can't because the audience will go see everything Marvel puts out, everything Disney puts out, everything Universal puts out, and they actively turn their back on the other types of film. They actively turn their back on the thought-provoking film. They actively turn their back on it. I don't want to think. I just want to watch it blow up for an hour. That's what they want. The audience is the problem. Yes, I'm laying this on the goddamn audience. 
I think the Joe Bob thing with a girl walks home alone at night was, I don't think he planned it this way, although knowing with Joe Bob being subversive, he actually may have known what the reaction was going to be. That is a perfect microcosm. We don't want that. That's not why we watch Joe Bob. Well, yeah, it kind of is. Go back to look at Monster Vision. Go back and look at Drive-In Theater. He showed some pretty decent art films on those at the... at various points. I think the audience is the problem here, Cecil. A girl walks home alone at night is not what they wanted, so they rebel. Well, sometimes what you want isn't what you need, assholes. I think if a lot of them would have actually sat down and watched the film, they might have been surprised. They might have enjoyed something. And now, granted, you're going to have people that just disliked it. I mean, there, I mean, there are a lot of films that, uh, I just don't like for whatever reason. So I think that that is perfectly fine. There are many facets to why you maybe don't enjoy something. And again, uh, art is subjective. So you're never really right or wrong in your opinion on something. But I think that uh, there are a lot of people that just were going off the rails and uh, they really should have given that a shot. But again, as I said a while ago, these are people that uh, they're expecting him to show like some crap. And by seeing a a black and white looks like art house film. It's just, it's not the kind of crap that they're used to. And uh, so they wanted something else and they flipped out over it. Well, see, now, I think that this is why I'm not 100% sure Joe Bob didn't plan and know what the fallout from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night on, on Last Drive-In was going to be. Because he said for season two, he wants to bring in more foreign films and more art films for season two. I think he's going, oh, you didn't like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night cracks knuckles all right let's play this game that's what i think joe bob's up to now you have no idea the depths of movie knowledge that joe bob has he's gonna pull out some ins like if you thought that was avant-garde he's gonna pull some kind of crap that even i've never even heard of i actually think if he if if joe bob wants to pull out arty kind of films but also films that his exploitation audience would go for show let the corpses tan that Croatian movie that shot like a 70s Italian film that came out last year that nobody saw. Pull something like that out. It's an action movie full of gore and blood and gunfights that shot like if Orson Welles made an Italian movie in 1977. Show Let the Corpses Tan, Joe Bob. Or, I brought it up earlier, Six String Samurai. It's a post-apocalyptic musical kung fu movie with a white lead. Don't forget Elvis. Elvis isn't technically in the movie, but he, the movie's about Elvis, but yes. Right. He, but yeah, he's not technically in the movie. Oh, Six String Samurai is amazing. I actually think that would be the way to do it. Grab Let the Corpses Tan. Grab Six String Samurai. Because I think maybe what Joe, and again, with with Joe Bob, this all could have been planned because he is one hell of a smart guy. And he is pretty good at reading in the audience. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is going to be very polarizing. Because one, it seems like an art film. Two, it's in black and white. Three, it seems like it's a foreign film. Four, it's not in English. He had to know, as good as the movie is, his this, his audience is not the audience for that movie. I think I think it is and it isn't. I think that a lot of the old school fans would have either seen it and be like, oh, I saw this already awesome, or they would have been happy to be introduced to something new. I think a lot of the newer audience was the ones that really were were throwing the fit, and I'll stand by that. 
these same people, now they didn't throw a fit. They didn't react too well to movies like The Changeling, 1980, the George C. Scott movie. It was too slow. Nothing's happening. You people have no idea what, what build up and tension is, do you? Because somebody doesn't yeah, but- get killed every 15 minutes. It's boring. Well, that's why uh, this is one of my biggest pet peeves with movies. That's why every movie now starts off with, like, something crazy happening. And then two weeks ago. Or, you know, yesterday. And then it's like, no, can't you start at the beginning? You have to show us, like, a little bit so that we know that something's coming. Drives me nuts. I hate that. But everything does it now. There are ways to do that. I didn't personally like It Follows, but that has a big gore set piece right at the beginning, and it's still the beginning of the story because that's the end of the previous story. I mean, this is a standalone movie, but it was the previous person. It not only gave us a, a big opening, it gave us a gore piece right off the top, it also set a tone. I didn't like the movie, but that's the f***ing way you open the movie like this. I I disagree though. That was my favorite movie that year. I, 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 th- I thought it was. I thought it had great soundtrack. It was really well shot. Had a great idea. I hated all the characters. I think the script needed another rewrite or two because no one acts logically. I know they're supposed to be teenagers. None of them act logically. There were multiple points in this movie where I went, "This movie could be over right now if you just did." Eh. And nobody even thinks of that. So I had had problems with the script. I didn't have problems with how it was shot. Didn't have a problem with the cast per se. If their characters were more well written, I just the movie didn't didn't grab me. To illustrate your point, the intro is how you intro a movie like this. If this were a Blumhouse film, it would have been done exactly what you said. Would have had a big bagul jump out, kill somebody, and then four days earlier. Well, to be fair, Blumhouse has gotten a lot better since I made that video. They've uh, they've really turned their business market around. But in general, there's more of those things that are happening where it just it drives me nuts. I can't stand so many movies. You jump like there are ways to have an explosive opening, but also have that be the opening of the film. You can have something that triggers everything, then it goes off, and then, okay, this is the domino that sets up the rest of the film. Instead of going with a scene that happens later in the film and just showing that at the beginning, and then, uh, it just, uh, it really drives me nuts. It's, it's so overdone at this point. It's the same thing that that you, you get in lots of action movies and lots of sci-fi movies where you need to tell the audience something. So, a news report. Hey, this news report fills us in on the background of the world. I mean, like, remember the Will Smith I Am Legend? It opens with him watching old news footage that gets us caught up. Okay, it's quick and effective, but it's also lazy. You can't come up with a better way to do this than a news report? I can think of a thousand movies right now that do their exposition dump with a, with a news report in the first five minutes. It's lazy. Come up with something better. I don't know. Sometimes it's effective. Like, uh, a lot well, of there, times... Th- that's why they do it. It's effective, but it's lazy, too. Eh, I don't... Like, if, if that's not... If you just want to bring the audience up to speed on something, I don't think that that is really the worst thing that you can do. Because sometimes they go a little bit too far out the realm of ways to get you to, to be brought up to speed. And then it 
just makes it too too convoluted and then you end up losing the audience so if you can do something that is quick and effective and brings everybody up to speed i don't really have a problem with that so much uh i just have a problem with the fact that like because that's that's a way of introducing everyone to the story okay everybody on the same page okay good now we can go but the fact they have to open with like a big action scene and then slow everything down for the character development that to me annoys me because it's a way of grabbing your attention because they're saying that the characters in and of themselves are not interesting enough for you to follow they need to have some and then everybody oh wow that was great did you see the first thing or my personal thing that i hate i don't know why they're doing this and i don't know why it's always seven minutes watch it now the first seven minutes of no I don't want to watch the first seven minutes and then wait a month and watch the movie. I want to watch the first seven minutes when I'm watching the entire movie. I just, I can't stand See, that, uh, th- that new marketing tactic. Well, well, that's not new because I remember all the way back in 2004 and I give them props for doing this uncut as well. I think it was a week before the Dawn of the Dead remake, the Zack Snyder one came out. USA Network showed the first 10 minutes, you know, all the stuff that, you know, it, it stops when Ving Rhames character comes into the movie completely uncut a week earlier and i gotta say it really got me pumped to see the freaking movie i'll tell you that yeah i mean uh, i i guess i don't know it's uh like i liked what they did with independence day where they had the little half hour leading up to the movie like they had all these news reports and little like uh behind the scenes stuff and talking about the movie and kind of getting you excited about it and story that showed up to you know uh, up to the beginning of the movie so i think that that was really interesting that was a unique way of doing it or what the blair witch project did which you really can't do now because everybody's smart on it but where they they were doing kind of viral marketing before anybody knew what the hell viral marketing was got people interested in the movie and ended up you know spreading uh word of mouth got people excited and they went and they saw the movie so i think that there are other ways that you can do this just not not releasing large chunks of the film it it just to to me it seems counterproductive well you also just need a24 and annapurna you guys need to learn how to cut a f***ing trailer like i said just last night i went and watched trailers for every single annapurna film in in of all the ones that i'd seen i said that was a terrible trailer that did not sell me on this movie at all I don't know why they can't cut a f***ing trailer. They've existed since 2013. How have you not learned in nine years how to cut a trailer? You think they would, uh, they would be a little bit more on, on the point with that. Although I will say so many companies now, they just outsource their trailers. They just send them the footage and, and that's why we end up with just cut and paste copy pastas of trailers. It's the same thing over and over again. And also, I'm sick of watching a trailer online that shows 10 seconds of the trailer I'm about to watch and then says official trailer and then shows the fucking trailer. What are you doing? Just Show me the trailer. I don't need a teaser before the trailer, you goddamn idiots. Well, I discovered that because there's the skip section. So for some reason, they've kind of taken into that, that people are going to skip that, but it, like the, the commercial, but it's like, but no, I'm watching the trailer. Like there's nothing to skip. So you're showing me the trailer before you show me the trailer, or you're showing me a teaser of the trailer that I'm about to watch. It's the dumbest thing. It annoys me to no 
fucking end. But on that note, oh yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that too. On that note, no independent thought. Do you think independent film can come back? Like I said, AMC is doing their part. Like I said, it might just be a a cold, crass marketing thing, but I have to give them credit for saying no. Independent film will have a, a slot in our theaters. Or do you think Disney is just going to keep gobbling up the market to the point where even Warner Brothers, Universal, and Paramount are cowering before the might of that stupid f***ing mouse? I think uh, I think it's going to get ugly. Uh, I don't think it's going to get... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's ever going to get better. I think it's going to get worse before it gets uh, even more worse. We're, we're just headed into a really bad direction because you have uh, one company that uh, people seem to be happy that they're uh, getting the keys to the kingdom. And it's not until we're just on another cycle of endless remakes and garbage when people maybe start peeking up and be like, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea that they have everything. So on that note, where can people find the Cecil if they wish to subscribe to him and make him super popular and make him a super YouTuber? That would be nice. Uh, as I was joking with a, a friend of mine, I was I was like, I am a low-tier, uh, broke YouTuber. He's premiering a movie, and he's like, hey, why don't you come out to, to, to Los Angeles to see it? And I'm like, yeah, about that. Yeah, that's not really possible. You know, I I can't, uh, like, I, I'm always perplexed by the people I see uh, that are just, hey, I was, at, I was at this convention, I was at this convention, I was at, and I'm just like, god damn. I'm like, I'm lucky if I can, like, go out to dinner. But we're, well, <laughs> Where can people find you? You can find me, uh, not complaining, at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as good, good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Remember, guys, 1201beyond.com backslash VPN for the Nord thing. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Go and see an independent film. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
But there's just one problem. Is my cock big enough? Is my brain small enough for you to make me a star? Give me a toot, I'll sell you my soul. Pull my strings and I'll go far. Give me a toot, I'll show you my soul. Pull my strings and I'll go far. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.